0: Well, tonight in the Honky Tonk Time Machine, it is my honor and privilege to be able to speak with another one of my favorites from the 90s and one of the great ladies from a decade full of amazing ladies, Dina Carter. Dina, thanks so much for spending some time with us this evening.
1: Uh, Thanks for having me, Glenn.
0: You kidding me? The only thing that could make this better is if we had a bottle of strawberry wine. Tonight's gonna to be all about getting to know Dina, but first I wanna get caught up on what you've been up to lately because everybody's schedule has come to a screeching halt these days. But I know you're trying to stay busy with, you know, staying active on social media and things like that.
1: Absolutely. We've had, you know, people always say, When are you going on tour? And I'm I'm like, <laughs> please check my website because we have been Touring, not we've been so busy touring the last few years, especially. But we had a full schedule this year, like most of my artist friends, and it just got wiped out. Um, so we had one coming up this weekend that is actually we're not going to be able to do, so it's just been very hard. I know everybody's ready to get back to live performing, but in lieu of that, we've been doing things online, and every week we'll be doing wing it wednesday that I do on Wednesday evenings on my official Facebook page and YouTube we we cross format it so you can find it on all the socials and that's just where we hang out and kind of break up the, the monotony of the work week and give everybody some spontaneity and some music and just Q&A and some fun things from home to get us to the weekend and then on Fridays, I've been doing it. It's, I call them my TG episodes because thank God I'm forgiven. Thank God you're forgiven. And I've been looking for the last four years, just kind of comparing what's going on in our world with what the Bible says and how there's nothing new under the sun. And you can find all the answers that you need really in that book. And so we kind of dive into that and what's going on in life. And, um, I've been doing movies and writing songs, so I've been busy, but like everybody else, we've been isolated and contained, so we're ready to, we're doing what we can remotely, but we're also ready to get back to living.
0: And I've been following you on Facebook for a while now. Love the Wing It Wednesday, the TGIF. But for those who aren't following, what are the handles for all your social medias for that matter so they can make sure they follow?
1: It's official Dina Carter. And you'll see if you go on Facebook, look for the one that spells my name phonetically. In parentheses, it says it's D-E-E-E-E-E-N-A. It's not Deanna. It's Dina. (laughs) Um, Official Dina Carter for Facebook. And Instagram is Dina Tunes, T U N E S, like music. And um, Twitter is Dina Sings, S I N G S. So those are pretty easy to find. You can find me there. And I'm also doing cameos. If you guys have family or friends that you want to send a message, you can go. I'll send them a personal greeting, um, which is so fun for birthdays and holidays and anniversaries, things like that. Um, That's on Cameo.com forward slash Dena Carter as well. You just have to make sure to spell the name right so you can find me.
0: That is really, really cool. I'm going to have to look into that for sure. Yes. You mentioned the phonetic spelling. How often early... In your career, did you get called Deanna Carter?
1: <laughs> you know, it's so strange because it was initially people would call me Deanna. Now, I don't know why, because there's not two N's in my name. It's just like Dean Martin with an A on the end. Sure. Um, but I know some Dinas do spell their name with two N's. And uh, so initially there were just one or two little glitches there with people mispronouncing it. But then everyone said it right. And I think, I don't know what it is. I feel like there was one person on the radio or somewhere that just kept saying it wrong because I have met and spelling it wrong. I've met so many fans and friends over the years that they're like, What do you mean your name is not Deanna? I've been (laughs) calling you that since eighth grade. Ah." You know, and they're like, parents now. so, yes, it's Dina, like like two E's, but um, it's spelled like Dean with an A on the
0: end. It, when I first saw it, I thought it was Deanna, too, but that was years and years and years ago when I heard my local DJ on the radio pronounce it right. I corrected myself, and I've been calling you Dina ever <laughs> since. <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And, I, I, I look, it's been happening since kindergarten for me on a personal level. Sure. So. No, no big deal, you know, but it does matter when you when you're on marquees and people are announcing like Jay Leno. And, you know, when we were doing all the big TV and stuff like that in the 90s, we just had to really make sure they said it right. Because you don't want that going out across the universe wrong, you know, mispronounced. I appreciate that.
0: Absolutely. You know, speaking of all the TV appearances you, you touched on, you do movies as well. Was acting something that you always wanted to try to venture into at some point, or did it just happen naturally?
1: Well, I actually did all that first. I did oh. um, plays, and I, I was uh, the director of our the junior and senior plays at our high school. And then when I went to University of Tennessee, we had sorority, we had Carnicus, and all you know, a lot of it was centered around musical theater kind of things. And so that I was doing that first and I did a little sitcom. It was kind of a Saturday night live type of thing that nobody knows about, but back in the eighties in Nashville, when Nashville was still very quaint and they were trying to break out, um, pre CMT, I did a show called checkmate and I was part of this cast. They were trying to make it kind of like a Saturday night live from Nashville. Um, and then went on to, like I said, went on to, uh, do some other things, but, yeah, so I did that first, I guess, and then music came second, believe it or not, so it just worked out that I got to flip it back around.
0: That being said, you do come from a musical influence uh, with your dad, of course, being Fred Carter Jr. Um, How much of an influence was growing up around that, being born in Nashville and and kind of coming up? How much did that influence you?
1: Oh, my goodness. I mean, he, (laughs) well, my mother, she never gets credit because she, wasn't well known. Anna is her name, but she had perfect pitch. My mother could sing and she sang perfect pitch. She's had a beautiful voice. Um, and then my dad, so I think when she was pregnant with me, not that I inherited a beautiful voice, but just that her tone and her pitch was dead on. and, and like, I know when I'm not singing on pitch, I know that like, I'm, I'm so anal about it. Um, So being in the womb with her, I think, (laughs) I think, I really do. I feel like it's proven that mothers, you know, you can sing to your babies and read to your babies and they respond in the womb. So I think it started really with her and then his guitar playing. He played guitar every single day in the house. If he wasn't in the studio or on the road with all these amazing artists, he always had a guitar in his hand. He was always playing and, I really feel like that helped me. And as a producer, he was that as well. Um, I learned production really young. I learned the layering of instrumentation and, um, fond- like sounds in the studio and how to just sound, period, was something that was really, um, focal in our house, you know. So, you had to have perfect pitch, you had to have the timing, your, your meter had to be right. You know, it's the whole structure of the compilation of sound pulled together to create this song was foundational for me growing up.
0: How about outside of your family? Were there any other artists that influenced you growing up?
1: Well, we, you know, I would say honestly, more so would be like Simon and Garfunkel. Um, he played on all their records. He played on their records. Paul Simon loved my dad, his guitar playing. He played the lead on the boxer and the bridge over trouble water records and that, that stuff. Wow. So he had a real, a real signature sound. Um, Roy Orbison, he played with him on the road. He played with Bob Dylan and, um, on the Skyline record and, you know, a lot of those records leave musicians off, but he played because they were all handwritten. The notes, believe me. Um, but he was on the Skyline record. He played with Muddy Waters. He played with every artist you can imagine. So, honestly, if it was Dolly Parton, um, Bobby Gentry, I'm just going through it, like Joan Baez, all these, all these artists that wrote their own songs and were self contained is really who he worked with. And he would be hired out to go in with Chet Atkins and all those people and work in the studio with other artists that had songs written for them, um, as one of the eighteen players that he was. So best of both worlds, but he really loved those artists like Willie Nelson and people, Chris Dofferson, all those people that wrote their wrote that were real writers and musicians in their own right. He respected that a lot. So that influenced me a lot knowing that they had written their songs and were singing their
0: story. You took the words right out of my mouth when you mentioned Willie Nelson, because you talking about people who wrote their own songs. One of the most iconic songwriters of all time is Willie, and I understand he actually kind of helped you get your start when he uh, invited you to Farm Aid back uh, in the mid-'90s. Is that right?
1: He did. That was 94. We did Farm Aid in uh, New Orleans at the Superdome. And I was the only girl on the bill, and I went out there with Chuck Jones, the guy I'd been writing with, and he's a fabulous guitar player, too. And he went with me, and we just did this acoustic set, and I did Shave My Legs and uh, Maybe Count Me In and a couple other songs. And I wrote a song for Willie called Turn Those Wheels Around after the fact, but... He and Christopherson just took me under their wing and treated me like a little niece or something. They just walked me through the process and were very supportive and willing to just put me out there. I mean, sight unseen. I know he had heard some songs, but I didn't get a sound check. Like, I just went out there cold turkey in front of this (laughs) big crowd and sang my song. I was terrified, but did a little set, and we got done, and I was... So excited and Christopherson walked me off the side to the back and was talking about me to the press and all this stuff. He was just so kind, so they were very, very supportive. And I just I think that helped Nashville sort of grasp on like clasp onto something because I was you know, if people went right, I'd go left. If people went left, I'd go right. Like I've never done something just by the book straight down the middle, like everybody else. And that's why Jimmy Bowen signed me. It's because I had a, um, a unique approach to doing music. And, um, so I've always, <laughs> I've always been guilty of that. Cause I just, I feel like if everybody has their unique sound, then there's room for everybody on the radio, you know, and that's what made the 90s so amazing is we had, you had tons of artists packing the charts and watching us race up and down um, against each other or with each other, however you want to look at it. And everybody sounded unique and had their own style. And I just, we all respected each other so much.
0: It, you hear people talk about the 90s sound, and it really wasn't one sound, was it? Everybody was doing their own thing, but it was all really unique, really country, and it made for one of the great, if not the greatest, eras of country music.
1: Oh, it was the best. We talk about it, and some of the artists joke, the new artists now, they're like, shut up about the 90s, we're sick of hearing the 90s. But, But it's true because... Something would come on the radio. Every, I mean, radio was king back then too, and it was just so nice. We didn't have streaming and all that stuff. We were like, you had laser focus on where you found your music, and you could find such diversity within that laser focus. And that just, that was exciting as an artist to to feel inspired by what you were hearing on the radio. You know, and being a part of that was incredible to just feel included in that was amazing. And, you know, my (laughs) How Do I Get There was the first song ever on country radio to have a drum loop, like a little uh, drum groove in it. That I fought hard to put on that record because I've always felt rhythm two and four, not one and three, like not four. You know, I feel it more soulfully. And my record was the very first record to... Pull in super, like, um, the guitar solo. I mean, it was country, but we made sure that the guitar solos had, like, a retro sound to them that would be reminiscent of maybe a Journey song or a Bread song or something from America. Like, the cross-hybrid of genres was very important to me to have that influence on my first record.
0: I was going to say, that's the thing. Like the, the men and women of the 90s, as far as the artists go, you, you had to blaze some trails a little bit, didn't you? You had to do some things that were a little bit outside the box that kind of created a path for artists nowadays to do what they're doing.
1: Oh, 1 million percent. 1 million percent. I mean, there was no rock and roll vibe for females in country music until we, you know, we were out there with an electric guitar or jumping off the drum risers and <laughs> split kicks and like. <laughs> Our, my live show back in the day was a rock and roll show because we wanted it to be, you have this country record that you hear and the same, you know, you buy it, you hear it, you've tangibly got it. But when you come to a concert, we wanted you to feel more of a jam, kind of a feel and more like blazing guitars, being the daughter of a guitar player, like longer solos and expounding on the record. So that you had a different experience to take home with you. You know, that was what rock and roll concerts would do. Um, You have a three minute guitar solo and then go back into the chorus or whatever. And and I just grew up. I was never caged in any um, genre. So we had so much fun on the road and fellow artists would come out and watch our shows because, you know, we were we were doing it a little different than everybody else had done it in the past so that was fun it was so much fun